Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. It's good to see everybody today. How's everybody doing? Good. The threat of snow has not uh, abated anybody's hopes or spirits this morning. Hopefully not. Unless you're me, that is very detrimental to my spirit this morning. (laughs) Well, my name is uh, Nick Jonkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh, really, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Jason and the entire team, we are so glad that you are here this morning to join us. I'm going to ask that we begin our time together in God's Word by first taking some time to pray. So would you join me as we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and Lord God, our hearts are often uh, distracted and drawn in so many different directions. And so, Father, we need your Spirit to lead and guide us, to help us see you clearly in the midst of life. And we need that this morning as well, Jesus. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would come and be in this place this morning. Father, that our eyes would be firmly focused on you and that through your word we may exit this place more like you, Jesus. We thank you for that. Holy Spirit, come into this place. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to fathom that Halloween is tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? Like, it seems like it was just the 4th of July, like literally yesterday, and here we are now sitting. It is Halloween literally tomorrow. And if you've been around or in culture for any amount of time, Halloween just hits different these days, doesn't it? Like, what began as a minor kind of children's holiday has morphed into this major U.S. holiday that is now celebrated not only by kids, but by adults, too. And Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We had many adult trick-or-treaters last night at our house celebrating as well. And so people go all out. It's not just pumpkins anymore, is it? Like, people actually decorate their homes like crazy. It's the giant inflatables. They've got the lights and all kinds of, like, scary decorations. For example, you have to see this house that is in our neighborhood. Now, I don't know if you guys can see this here, but that is a 12-foot werewolf sitting in their yard. And that werewolf's eyes light up. And Don and I, we walk by it every day. We believe that its mouth probably opens too. We haven't seen it, but we think it does. And so people just go gaga for Halloween these days. And I think one of the reasons, candy aside, right, that people get so excited about Halloween, because let's be honest, Halloween is that one time of year when it's socially acceptable for adults to put on costumes and assume a different identity. It's that one time of year that we get to do it. There's a novelty of the escapism that Halloween affords us. It allows us as adults to kind of cast off our gender roles or our societal roles in favor of an identity that either magnifies our personification of who we believe we are or it goes completely the opposite direction, right? So maybe like your pastor who last night dressed up as a Sith Lord for the first time. I don't know if you can see that, but that was me last night. 
I was very, very excited about this. Now, if I walked into church dressed like that, y'all would do one of two things. Either you're going to lay hands on me and start praying for me and casting out demons, or you're going to say, Nick, you're crazy, go home. But on Halloween, my alter ego is not only accepted, but it's celebrated. It's applauded in the, as I, we were handing out candy last night. But the question this morning is, is, does putting on a costume really alter or change my identity? In that moment when I'm holding that beautiful lightsaber, am I really a Sith Lord? Unfortunately, no, I'm not. I wish I could tell you that I was, but unfortunately, I'm not. The exterior or my outward appearance may change, but I still am who I am at the core of my being. All I've successfully done in that moment is used a role to masquerade for a short time as my identity where I actually to try and do some of the acrobatic lightsaber stunts that you see in some of the Star Wars movies, I can guarantee you I would not look like a Jedi. I would probably just pull a hamstring up there. <laughs> but the truth is, we all laugh because we understand that it's a ridiculous notion that a costume might alter or change our identity. But if I'm honest, the reality is, is that I assume different labels or roles that poses my identity all the time, just without the elaborate costumes or the jack-o'-lanterns. Each day I put on these labels and take them off like a Halloween mask, varying on the circumstance or the situation that I may find myself in. For example, in a day's time, I can easily switch roles that go from Pastor Nick to husband Nick, to Jim Nick, to social media Nick, to friend Nick, and back and forth I go throughout the day. And those labels are not necessarily evil in and of themselves, are they? In fact, they are good and healthy in the normal everyday functions of life. It would be really weird if Don and I got went out on a date and I put on my pastor role. Like, yes, please bring us the bread. Let us bless the bread and we are going to eat. Like, that would just be really strange. So roles are good. The problem is that sometimes I confuse my labels with my identity. In other words, I seek to try and define myself or to find my sense of self-worth within the context of what I do. And that's not to say that my labels don't contain some partial truth of who I am or that there isn't value to be derived from fulfilling those roles. The problem is, is that sometimes I suck as a pastor. <laughs> sometimes my marriage isn't that good. Sometimes I post things on social media that I regret. And so as my identity is rooted in what I do or these labels that I slap on myself, as life fluctuates through the highs and lows, so too does my identity follow that roller coaster. And so instead of being somebody who is grounded in his identity and understand fully who I am, when I root my identity in labels, it creates a lot of confusion and anxiety in times in my life. Like, 
I'm good. I'm terrible. I'm awesome. I'm awful. Like you just go up and down through the roller coaster with your identity. Does anyone else here relate to what I'm saying this morning about that? Of course you do, right? Like if you're a human being and you have a pulse here this morning, I imagine that there have been times in your life where you've tried to find your identity from either what you do or a label that you've assigned or others have assigned to you. And the truth is that our current cultural context doesn't help that situation either. We live in a world that proselytizes from almost every societal street corner the belief that the highest expression of self is defined in the labels that we attach to ourselves. More specifically, we are told today from almost everywhere that our identity is both defined and demonstrated by labels like our political standing. It's defined by our sexual orientation. It's defined by our race, our gender, the products we buy, the social movements we participate in. In our day and age today, labels no longer masquerade as our identity. They are your identity. And furthermore, many of the secular prophets and priests of our day tell us that when our identity gets boring, or perhaps when our identity is no longer in vogue, we can change it just like we would change a Halloween costume. And so why all of this sounds very fun and empowering, it also lends itself to a shallow form of existence. As we already stated, if there is one constant in life, it is that life is constantly changing. And history demonstrates for us over and over and over again that what finds social acceptance today will not be socially accepted tomorrow. What is trendy in the moment will be looked back as a fad in the future. Because life around us, indeed the culture that surrounds us, is always this constant shifting tide. And when we attempt to anchor our identity to our, what is popular in culture or to our emotional state of being, the truth is, is that our identities will never find a firm place upon which to rest. And so as a result, we have a choice this morning, church. We can either choose to continually rebuild and rebrand our identity in accordance with what's popular in society or with what we are feeling in the moment, or we can look to root our identity in something that is more grounded and unshakable in life so that even as life changes, we do not. And so the question for you this morning is this. If what we do in life or the labels that we attach to ourselves are an unreliable source for the formation of our identity, where do we turn? Where do we go in life to find a stronger source for our identity? And the truth is this morning, church, is that if you're asking that question or if you've ever wondered that or you've wrestled with finding your identity in labels, you're not alone. I do it too. And there were people in the Bible who did it as well. In fact, there was a first century church that had a major 
identity crisis. And like us, they were looking to try and define themselves by a set of labels. They were looking to try and find their self-worth by outward appearances and actions. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've brought your Bibles or perhaps you have your Bible apps with you, to turn with me to the book of Galatians, specifically Galatians chapter 4. And I want to invite us to discover together what God has prescribed as the solution to identity and this issue of identity crisis. And so as you turn to the book of Galatians in your Bibles, let me just quickly give you some historical context of what was happening in this first century church. As I just shared, the church in the Roman province of Galatia was suffering from an identity crisis. And it all stemmed from this huge internal debate that was happening within this fledgling Jesus movement about how one's identity was to be defined. And so what sparked this debate within the church? The truth is, is that Christianity was founded upon the doctrine of justification. And now I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this idea of justification this morning here because Pastor Jason already did an incredible job doing that last week. And if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to go back and do so. However, for the purpose of our message today, let us simply define justification as the means by which an individual is declared righteous before God through Jesus' perfect obedience and death. Furthermore, not only did Jesus take on our punishment, but God accomplishes our justification by imputing Jesus' righteousness onto any who profess their faith and trust in him. In other words, justification very simply means that our identity is based on what Christ did for you and not on anything that you do for yourself or others. That is my identity. That is justification. And in the first century church, there was a group of Jewish believers who, were, uh, who had infiltrated the church in Galatia, and they were adding to the doctrine of justification. These Judaizers, as Paul called them, were insisting that all non-Jewish converts to Christianity had to be circumcised in order to be fully inducted or accepted into God's family. Now, I thought about this like, I can't imagine that there were many people in the first century who were willingly signing up for this. Like, I just tried to picture how this conversation would go in my mind, like, uh, you want to follow Jesus? Okay, cool. Let me go get the scissors. You drop your drawers. I'll be right back. Like, no, like, who's signing up for that? No, I'm good, man. I don't, I don't want Jesus on second thought. But there were people. There were people who were signing up to become Christians and who were following after this. And contrary to the doctrine of justification, these Judaizers were uh, placing an added emphasis on an individual's outward actions or their labels. Are you circumcised or are you not? As the primary means in which a person found their identity or standing before God. And so we see then where this push and pull was happening, where this uh, controversy was erupting in the early church. 
And so the Apostle Paul, when he catches word of this, he's helped to plant these churches. When he catches word that there are people who are following the Judaizers' teaching, he's very upset and frustrated by it, and he decides that I'm going to write a letter in 38 AD and sends it to the church in Galatia, and that is the book of Galatians that we have today. And so let's read together how Paul addresses this issue of identity beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul writes, he says this, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father has set. And that's the way it was before Christ came. We were like little children, we were slaves to the basic principles of this world. And so if there was a point that I could encourage you to take note of at this moment, the first point I would say is this, is that it is childish to define ourselves by labels. It is childish to define ourselves by actions or labels. And in this moment in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is beginning to his rebuttal of the Judaizers' teaching by using this illustration of a child who has received an inheritance from their father. And in doing so, Paul is making the point that through justification by faith in Christ alone, the believers in Galatia, and indeed every one of us throughout human history, any human being who has ever professed faith or trust in Jesus Christ, has received a rich and unfathomable and invaluable inheritance from God their Father. And that inheritance that we receive when we come to faith in Jesus is an identity in Christ that is unshakable and built upon the person and the work of Jesus that does not change even as time and culture does. And so using this inheritance illustration, Paul is highlighting the spiritual immaturity that might exist in the life of a believer who seeks to define their self-worth or to seek their sense of identity based on labels, based on actions, instead of relying upon the rich inheritance of our identity in Christ that God freely gives to us. More to the point, he's making this claim that for those who profess faith in Jesus, and he's notice what he's talking about. He's not talking about people who stand outside of the world. He's talking to believers. He's writing to believers, and he's saying, for those of you who understand the truth of justification and still choose to seek or define your identity by labels that you put on yourself or allowing others to put labels on you, you're acting like immature little children. He says, essentially, you are choosing a Pinto when you could be driving a Tesla. He's saying, essentially, you're choosing to eat McDonald's hamburgers when you could be eating delicious dry-aged steak. He's saying, you're choosing to root for the lowly Detroit Lions when you could be rooting for the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Comparatively speaking, it makes no sense in Paul's mind. When he compares the difference between the two, he says it makes no sense, and the only answer is that it's immaturity that leads a person to this other place. But Paul doesn't stop there. 
He doesn't stop with the analogy of a child in inheritance. He takes it one step farther by arguing that pursuing our identity of our own making makes us also subservient to it. You see, the systems of this world, the, uh, the elements of this world, as Paul refers to in Galatians 4, promise a notion of freedom through the practice of finding our identity in labels, through the idea of finding our identity in actions, through conforming our identity to the standards of this world, when in reality, Paul says, it makes you as slaves and cast you into bondage instead. It's not actually freedom. And during the first century, we see this, that the Judaizers promised the Galatian church that if you do this act, if you put this label on you, it's going to bring you freedom in Jesus. It's going to bring you closer to God. And so too today, we live in a world where secular priests and prophets also promise us freedom by the bending of our will to our feelings. But Paul is making the point here that the truth is, church, is that any idea, identity apart from Christ, any idea, identity from, apart from Christ and Christ alone is like trying to chase an ideal that we can never fully achieve. It's something that we can never fully be attained. The Christians in Galatia could no more achieve freedom and closeness in their relationship with God by pursuing religious piety any more than we can find self-fulfillment in our lives by following the latest TikTok trend. It doesn't matter. What he is saying to us is that when we base our lives on labels, we're always going to mess up. When our lives are defined by our actions, there's always going to be somebody who is better than us. And so we end up in this space where our life is constantly in flux, our identity is constantly in flux, and we become like dogs who just endlessly chase our tails round and round, enslaved by an idea or a notion of self that forever always just remains outside of our grasp. And so Paul says it's childish. And not only that, it's spiritual enslavement to define ourselves by our actions, by the labels that we find in this world. And so if we can't do that, where can we turn? And Paul offers the solution to that beginning in verse 5. He says this in verse 4 and then verse 5. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman and subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You see, the next point, if we were to mark, map this out on our notes, is that Paul says that our identity in Christ means that we have been adopted into God's family as his children. You see, Paul gets through this portion in verses 1 through 3 where he's highlighting the ridiculousness of the idea of pursuing an identity that is defined by labels. And he now turns his attention to fully highlight and underscore the majesty and the beauty of the inheritance that we have received as an identity through Christ Jesus. And he proclaims this awe-inspiring truth to us that is ground-shaking, that as followers of Jesus, as those who have been justified by faith in Christ, we are brought to a place where we have been adopted as God's kids into his family. Let that sink in for just a moment. 
Let that hang there for a moment and just try to wrap your mind around that. Paul is teaching that the instant an individual professes their faith in Christ, their identity is positionally changed from a person who is constantly and always at enmity and hostility towards God to one who moves to a position who is adopted as a beloved child in God's family. It doesn't mean what you have done can keep you out. It doesn't mean how weird you think you are. It doesn't mean what family you come from in this life. When you call on Christ in faith, you are moved from a position of hostility towards God to a position of friendship and belovedness as his child. And this is a mind-blowing truth. As justification in faith, uh, justification by faith in Christ provides not only the way, but also the means which our wandering identities can now find their way back to their heavenly home. And to illustrate this point, Paul uses this incredible metaphor of adoption. And in order to understand the earth-shattering magnitude of Paul's words here in this moment, we would do well to briefly explore the first century custom of adoption. Because it's much different than perhaps how we understand adoption in our Western world. In the Roman-occupied world, once legally enacted, adoption afforded special rights and privileges to the adoptee that forever altered their identity. And so listen to this for just a moment, what adoption meant in the first century. Adoption in the Roman culture meant that all debts were canceled. All criminal charges were dropped. They could not legally be put to death by their new father, and they could not be disinherited by their new father either. In legal terms, the adoptee was a completely new person. They were a new creation when they were adopted by their father. And how beautifully, church, does the legal procedure of adoption parallel our adoption into God's family as his kids? Because think about this for just a moment. As God's kids, all our debts are canceled. All charges against us have been dropped that is why Paul or John writes in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive those sins. And not only that, but to cleanse us from all righteousness. When we come to faith in God, our identity is not defined by what we've done, what we are doing, or what we will ever do. God looks at you and he sees Christ. He sees Jesus. He sees his kid. Through adoption, God's wrath which was reserved for us because of our sin, was poured out on Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 3.18 testifies to this fact. He says that Christ suffered once and for all for your sins for all time, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And when we entered into God's family, through justification, when we're brought into God's family, here's a truth that you could hang your hat on as you walk out of here today. God cannot unadopt you. He can't disinherit you. He can't kick you out of his family. Once you are adopted into God's family, you are in God's family. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says, For I am convinced, I am utterly convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. 
Church, that is your unshakable identity in Christ. It's unmovable. And you are God's kids. Which really leads us to our final examination or our final point from Galatians 4 this morning. And it's that our identity changes our behavior from the inside out. And listen to what Paul writes here as he continues in verse 6 and 7. He says, And because we are his children... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. You see, in this moment, Paul says that the believer, through their inheritance, receives a new identity in Christ. And when that identity or that transformation happens, there's something that changes on the inside of that individual. And not only do we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we come into faith with Jesus, but the very behavior of that individual begins to change when we live under the identity as God's kids. He states that our identity in Christ compels us to cry out, Abba, Father! Abba, Father! And that word Abba is a word that we don't hear very often in our language anymore because it's Arabic. It's actually Arabic for Father. And it conveys this idea of a warm, personal, and intimate relationship that now exists between the believer and God. It's where tenderness, where trust, and where love find the fullness of their expression. It's an outward expression that's motivated by an inward transformation that is the result of our identity in Christ as we have been adopted into God's family. And so Abba, this beautiful word Abba, serves as a reference point in our lives It's an audible representation of where our identity is rooted in. Because think about it this way. When a believer loses sight of their identity in Christ, when we take our eyes off the fact that I am God's kid, so often too do we feel more and more and more distance from our Heavenly Father. We feel more and more removed from our Heavenly Father. When we move into a relationship positionally with God, where we're living in kind of this um, relationship that is defined by what I do and my labels that I put on my life, I tend to look at God as somebody who sits in judgment of me instead of somebody who sits in grace and mercy. When my identity is entrenched in who I am in Christ through justification, relationally, I'm more free to call out, Abba. Relationally, I'm more free to cry out to God, Abba, Father, not only when times are good, but perhaps, and most importantly, when times are hard. And I love how um, Pastor Wayne Barber described the use of this term in the believer's life. Listen to this. He wrote this. He said, There is something beautiful about the way my children relate to me. Each of them who are well now into their 30s, Still call me daddy when life hurts. The rest of the time, I'm just dad. But when life hurts, we call out for daddy. And that's the relationship, he says, that we have through our, um, through, with God through Christ Jesus. Our identity in Christ brings us relationally closer to God. 
similar to this relationship that Jesus had with the Heavenly Father. In fact, as you look throughout Scripture, the point is made clear is that the only other person apart from Paul in Galatians and Romans that called God Abba was Jesus. It was Jesus who called out to Abba Father when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was in his place of great distress and great need, he cried out, Abba, Abba. And so my question for you this morning is this, church. When life gets hard, when things go unexpectedly, how we call out to God can tell us a lot about where our identity is rooted, doesn't it? Do we cry out to God from an identity of fear and self-loathing that's based on our labels, on our actions? Or when life hurts, do we cry out to God to receive his limitless grace and an inexhaustible forgiveness as his kids? Do we cry out for daddy when we're in a position of failure, when we're struggling with life? Or do we run and hide from a God that we believe sits in condemnation or judgment of us? If our identity is rooted in Christ, then church, as the Apostle Paul says, our behavior will reflect that from the inside out. And so if we're all guilty this morning of putting on these different Halloween costumes, so to speak, these identities, that, these roles and labels that masquerade as our identities in life, how do we then apply Paul's words in Galatians 4 to the everyday rhythms of life? How do we take this and begin to live out that identity? I think one of the things that we can start doing right away, even as we walk out of here this morning, is to begin to verbally remind ourselves of our identity in Christ whenever we feel the downward pull of culture on our sense of self whenever we find our self-worth beginning to be defined by the things around us, by the labels that we put on ourselves, I think we can begin to get comfortable with this idea of prophesying over ourselves. And prophecy is one of those weird words that because of Hollywood, we get this really strange idea of what a prophet looks like, right? We tend to think of Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings, right? Who's sitting there spouting gibberish about the future. And that's what we think when we hear this word prophesy. And while it's true that prophecy does have within it the idea of foretelling the future, at its most basic definition, prophecy simply means to proclaim the truth of God. It simply means to speak the word of God. And so we can prophesy or proclaim the truth of God, like the truth that we read in Galatians 4. And we can do so every time we find ourselves in a position where we feel our identity being pulled farther from Christ. Prophesying is like being our own personal trainer, in a sense. How many of y'all have ever had an incredible, awesome personal trainer? Fitness personal trainer. Couple? I see a couple hands up. Yeah, I have too. If you haven't, it's an incredible experience. It's amazing to have a personal trainer because not only do they help you achieve your health goals but they help you stay motivated as well. And when you have a personal trainer and you're doing that stuff while you're sweating and you're crying, like, I can't do this anymore, that personal trainer comes alongside you and says, you can do this. You have the ability to do it. You can achieve your goals. And you suck it up and you cry some more and you do get it done. And I think like that example of a personal trainer we need to be able to prophesy and speak truth into our lives that motivates our identity in Christ. I think we need to be able to speak the words, you are 
a child of God. You have been adopted as a child into God's family. Your inheritance in Christ is one who is accepted and loved. And I think if we begin to do that on a daily basis, church, we can walk out of this place and begin to not only speak over ourselves, but begin to speak over a world that is desperately seeking for identity, that is rooted in something other than the transient, that there is a firm foundation of identity found in Christ. So I challenge you this morning, let's be a church that speaks the truth of God as we walk out of here today about our identity in Christ. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.